Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We have made it to Friday, the final day before week one regular season football. We are also back because this, of course, is the first episode of the NBC Sports Edge DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by my very good friend in life, co-worker, teammate, someone who just won a huge pot in GPP and MLB DFS, which is not what we're talking about at all today, none other than Kyle Dvorak. Kyle, are you ready finally for meaningful football after that hot game last night hot game that was a, that was a fun game uh you know the uh, the showdown slates weren't great because it was uh pretty obvious it was very dupe like we needed like uh you know cedric wilson or something if you're playing for not dupes and uh that's how you should be playing and if uh you know if the guys who are obvious chalk names go out and do well you're not going to see me at the top of the leaderboards but as you said luckily had a good had a good summer capped off a good summer with a mlb slate Second, second of whistles goes woo. Uh, you might know him. I think he won the 2.5 milli on the last, mm-hmm. um, uh, whatever they called it. I, I assume they just called it the fantasy football world championship or whatever. He won that one. And then he stole a milli from me. I can't complain though. Still makes it a great summer. And I don't know anything about baseball. I couldn't, I didn't know a single player on my team. I don't think. Sure. I really don't think so. That's the way DFS works, though. No big deal. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the people will play this week as well. We may not be able to pick out of a lineup. Who knows? I know for a fact I could probably get them out of a lineup, but when it comes to jersey numbers, it hit me hard Thursday night. I realized that I am not ready to look at players and see tight ends with number nine and everything. I'm just like, I I can't really wrap my brain around it just yet. Also Thursday, a bit of a letdown because we got it right across the board between Brady, Godwin, Navy. The issue is we had the Dak stack, but we had the Dak stack with Zeke thinking it was going to be a high target share. But if I was told beforehand, they were just going to be the Bills, and both <laughs> Zeke and Tony Pollard don't matter at all because they're just mm-hmm. not going to give him touches, boy, I would have played that completely different. Still exciting, though, if you're drafting this upcoming weekend, Friday and Saturday, to see those high target shares for Amari Cooper, who looked extremely healthy because we were worried about the ankle surgery, and then CeeDee Lamb, of course, who performed well but left three or four big plays, three drops last night on the field. Nonetheless, we're here for week one. We're not here for Thursday nights. And as always, for those of you just tuning in because this isn't your podcast feeds, perhaps you're listening to this on a Saturday morning if you're not watching live Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern every week, which you should be. But if you're listening to the audio and this is your first time, just know the way we do this show is that we don't talk about it beforehand. 
I genuinely prefer, whether it's Kyle, Denny, sometimes he'll be on throughout the year, my friends and the guests throughout the year. I genuinely like to show up as if it's Curb Your Enthusiasm without a script. And that way we can talk through our issues and the problems we've come across together, almost like we're problem solving aloud and thinking together. And that's how I prefer. We also will give a couple plays, of course, but really I still prefer to give fishing poles rather than fish. We are trying to teach you to play and what to see when you're building lineups rather than just giving you one player because that has a shelf life. That lasts for 24 48 hours and it's done and you're not actually learning anything you're just plugging a name in and with that the first segment as you'll come to find out every single week is the decision point and kyle of course as you know from last year this is when i ask you what is the one conundrum you run into when building lineups ahead of week one yeah, to me, it's it's what you do with the cheap punt wide receivers. There's gonna be, I mean, obviously, what they release the pricing for DraftKings and FanDuel relatively like a month, maybe even more than a month ago. It's been a while. Uh, so when you get Marquez Callaway to a month and a half ago, six weeks ago, you're like, oh, he's the field stretcher for this team. And as you get a month into you know closer to the NFL season, you're like, oh no, he's just this team's number one. That we're just gonna do this. Uh, but he's going to be the most popular play on the slate. Do you pivot to someone like Marvin Jones at lower ownership but still popular? How deep can you go on these kinds of players? Is Elijah Moore going to end up being a third or a quarter as popular because the Elijah Moore news, it's the new news that Jameson Crowder won't play, is coming much later than you know we've known Marquez Callaway as his team's number one for a few weeks, probably three four weeks maybe at least so does the news coming so much later mean that elijah moore is still a, a five to ten percent play kind of guy it's how deep do you want to go on these punt plays to me i mean i'm playing a lot of large field tournaments you're probably not going to see a lot of a, a lot of marquez callaway 20 percent player who has been like a punt gunner through his first year or whatever you might not see a lot of them in my lineups and if you do it's going to be like a super stack of this game i'm either going all in or all out but I think this is kind of going to be the deciding factor of the slate. We had a few slates like this last year, too. I know it was the Jets again last year had the game where they faced Patrick Mahomes. We expected the Jets, even if they were terrible, to throw 50 times. And it was like, who are you going to play this week? Braxton, Berrios, or whoever? I don't even – man, they had such bad players on that Jets team last year. But it's one of those weeks where you have eight different punt options at receiver. How grimy are you willing to get? Do you go, like, really all the way down to some true nobodies? Or do you eat some of the chalk and play Callaway? I think in tournaments – that is that is where the biggest money is going to be made and lost. So you actually think Marcus Callaway is going to carry ownership because 100%. I think that anyone can play whoever they want. And there are so many good plays at that range. Even when we talk about Rondo Moore and Elijah Moore at the Stone Men on 3K on DraftKings, for instance, that – I actually don't think Callaway comes over rostered because I don't know if anyone becomes over rostered. Like literally it is pick your poison. It is basket Robbins. You can have every flavor genuinely. If you want, if you want CMC and Kelsey, you can easily make it happen because you can jam two, three K receivers in there. So for me, I actually, and I think Callaway is a good play no matter what, because you can get contrarian elsewhere. And again, if I believe that the, if the ownership is go all going to be similar across the board, like everywhere, it's just going to be spread out because you can play everything this week. Because remember, the salaries released prior to week one, then that means I'm not really worrying about someone like Marcus Callaway if he comes in like 15 to 20%, because I know that that means that the lineup we're building 
Usually then everyone has the next conclusion. We're all making the same conclusion when we put them in. 3,400 to get up to these running backs. So I can be contrarian by going 3,400 Callaway, 3K Elijah Moore if you want to do that. But then also not paying up for like Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey. Perhaps going Derrick Henry instead. Perhaps going like a, a Nick Chubb if you want that game, if you think he goes over. Or a Mike Davis and Najee Harris who we know the price is severely bad. Like they just got the numbers wrong, especially after Anthony McFarlane went IR. Those guys are going to get all the touches most likely. So I think there are different ways to do it. And so I actually don't think I'll be worrying about the roster percentages this week. Yeah, I think you are thinking about it in the way you should be thinking about it. I think you're giving the field too much credit. I think the field is going to say that Marquez Callaway projects for 1.6 more points than Elijah Moore, 2.2 more points than Marvin Jones. And people, whether they're using optimizers or just looking at their projections or just watching content, like that's a lot of what I'm trying to do is I look at, you know, I look at different ownerships across the industry. And then I also try and consume a lot of content, not because I think their content is really going to change the way I build how many of our lineups I build, but it's people's other people's content and our content influences the ownership. We'll talk about it in like sneaky stacks later, but there are one or two sneaky stacks that I think end up being everyone thinks they're sneaky stacks. And then you get the inverse. They're not that sneaky. I think everyone's going to just say that Marquez Callaway is probably the best play of the punts. And I think he comes in probably a tier above Marvin Jones and Elijah Moore and any other punt guys you have in your in your list. So I think you are thinking about the right way. The difference between Callaway and Elijah Moore, our error bands should be so wide in week one. We just know so little. Do I think Marquez Callaway is the Saints wide receiver one? I guess I have to think that. But like, would it shock me if Alvin Kamara just came out and got like he just played almost wide receiver, got 15 targets and Callaway got three deep shots, two of which did not connect and he is a bust? No, that wouldn't surprise me at all. We just can't really project with a great degree of accuracy what's going to happen in week one after eight weeks of Callaway being his team's wide receiver one the ninth week sure I'll totally say like yeah nothing's really going to change but this week I think people are going to over overestimate how much we know and I think that comes in as Callaway being the most popular punt probably Marvin Jones and Elijah Moore as a tier below him and for that reason I think about it the way you do they're pick your pick your poison pick whoever you want is you think is going to get six seven eight targets in that price range but I think the field kind of is, is going to view it a little more Callaway dominant at least more than they should because I think it is it's a we don't know anything it's week one so we should try and find ownership advantages that's fair and you mentioned stacks and ownership and where we all gravitate to and that's actually my decision point is that it's not sneaky. We all know you have to approach the Titans Cardinals game uh, from a double stack and run back, perhaps from a fade altogether. And that's genuinely my decision point is how you yep. leverage and utilize this game. Because I don't even think the double stack of Tannehill, AJ Brown, and Julio Jones is going to be sneaky. In the slightest. Uh, we all know now, we've said it on the preview show earlier, if you listen to a good football show midweek, uh, the Cardinals secondary, uh, Byron Murphy, 2019 second rounder, is their best corner. Uh, they have no choice but to put him on one of those top-tier receivers, which are basically just both DK Metcalf clones, if not better <laughs> than DK Metcalf. We know Julio Jones, it's never been about performance. It's always been when healthy, and that's why 10 career week one games, he's averaged six catches, 100 yards, and 21 fantasy points. And some may say that's a narrative-driven stat. I disagree. I actually think it's a pertinent split because when is he healthiest? In week one, because he's used his veteran card out the past four or five years to limit the amount of reps he's done in training camp preseason games and i expect them to again be fully healthy in week one and as again we know the cardinal secondary is just that bad and they can't stop them anyhow and meanwhile you have the cardinals offense which everyone has seen the stat making its around 
a ways around on social media and podcasts throughout the week that Kyler Murray averaged the most fantasy points per game ever by a quarterback, 29.2, through week 10 until he banged his shoulder in the first quarter against Seattle in week 11. And then also DeAndre Hopkins, Rondell Moore, who has a Debo Samuel salivating upside. He had three carries in the preseason, 40 of his 47 preseason snaps from the slot with a 1.3 A dot because that's how they're going to use him underneath. So they will manufacture his touches. That's what they showed us in the preseason. All of them are amazing plays, but it all sort of leads me back to, and perhaps this gets into our next topic as well, because the way I think I'm approaching this game, I'm not there yet. Again, we talk about this on Friday and I build over Saturday night, but the way I like doing this game is my favorite overall play. I believe you look at the top, right? We're just stepping back and looking at lineups overarching as a whole. And we see everyone is going to play, if not jam in both Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin cook with two, three K receivers with a bad priced Kyle Pitts at 4,400 on DK, for example. And yet in this game that everyone's talking about, no one's talking about Derrick Henry. So it's okay. How do we leverage an elite running back if we're not going to play those two elite running backs? And the answer is, let's play Derrick Henry and cross our fingers. And I think genuinely that is my favorite tournament. I say dart because I think he's going to come in 5 to 7%. And as we know, even if I don't think it's going to be like a good game for him, even if I don't think the matchup is good enough, because it's not. Like, if anything, the Cardinals do well. It is in their front seven defensively. Even J.J. Watt is still an above-average player. He just needed help around him. He got that in Chandler Jones, of course and the Cardinals' extremely athletic linebackers. But even so, if I know everyone's doing one thing, I am more than happy to do the other thing and zag when everyone zigs. And so that's why I think Derrick Henry is also my favorite tournament play. Kyle will jump back in a second. But anyways, my point is that if everyone's going to roster CMC and Dalvin Cook, I will go Derrick Henry. And again, it's about leverage. Uh, this is what DFS is. If you're just listening to this show now, You basically have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's what playing in tournaments is, which is why I don't even suggest it to people. I don't know if people have the mental capacity or mental health to consistently lose because that's what tournament players do. We consistently lose. But that's also why I love single entry tournaments because I feel like I'm above average at making decisions in life. And I love forcing that onto people. Single entries, everyone has to make decisions, and a lot of people just can't. They don't want to say, I have to eliminate this from my process, and that's why they prefer multi-entries. They want to just have all the exposure, whereas I love just pinning people against the corner and saying, make a choice. And that's what you do in mid- to high-stakes single entries. I love it so much. And that's why, even though I'm not comfortable with it, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable, Derrick Henry, knowing that's the leverage off what everyone else is going to do. Kyle is back. Tell me how you feel about that Titans Cardinal stack about how where I'm at at Derrick Henry and everything else with that game. Yeah, one thing I looked up that was really interesting was in the past two years, Derrick Henry has had a slightly negative correlation with his opponent opposing quarterback. And like you said, I think I'm so I'm so uh, I feel seen, but in a very bad way, because for the value finder article that will coming out about the same time as as this podcast, I included the stat of Kyler Murray being the highest scoring quarterback through 10 weeks Mm -hmm. of all time. I feel like very exposed by having that stat and you being like, everyone knows this stat. Uh, It's an awesome stat, but it's going to lead to everyone playing Kyler Murray. I think he's going to be one of the three most popular quarterbacks in tournaments. And like you said, in single entry, you are really forced to make individual decisions. And I believe that leads to people playing far too conservative, whether it is a small field single entry, even the very large field single entry. I think you get the the better plays. And when I say better, I mean the better projected plays, not tournament plays, just things that are better points per dollar or overall higher projected. I think those players end up getting even 
over-owned relative to what they get in large field. And because of that, I think Kyler Murray is going to be extremely popular in especially like small field, mid to oh, high yeah. stakes. And Derrick Henry is that perfect leverage because when Derrick Henry goes off, I think you could even possibly stack him with Tannehill because he was positively correlated to Tannehill last year and his top uh, receivers. They had, if they, we don't have line graphs in front of us, but if we did, like genuinely, they spiked together at yeah. times. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't go that route. I wouldn't play them together. But again, like that's okay too if that's how you want to do it because it is a unique way, which is I'm sure what you were about to say. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just if you want to, if you think the Titans lead the lead the league in scoring in week one, I think that's what you would want to do with, I think it'd have to be pretty small field because I think there is some of a, a 90th percentile cap where you're not going to get three Derrick Henry touchdowns and five Ryan Tanhill touchdowns. But if they collectively score six, you know, they could totally do that. I think in relatively small field, as the more you go up, I would just eliminate the, the Tannehill part of it and just play Derrick Henry because like I said, he has negative, negative correlation. It's only slight. I think it was like 0.1 or, or 0.09, but slightly negative correlation with what I think will be one of the three chalkiest quarterbacks in Kyler Murray, Derrick Henry home favorite against defense that I'm not really concerned about. They're like middle of the road defense. And if he has negative correlation, even the slightest bit with the quarterback that I think is going to be one of the three most popular quarterbacks on the slate, that's like you said, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You need to be comfortable saying, I'm going to lose 14 weeks and I'm going to, I'm not going to 15 X on my 15th week. I'm going to 50 X on my 15th right. week, whatever week I find success. It's not going to be a double up. It's not going to be four X my money. I'm going to crush. And I think Derek Henry being even slightly negatively correlated to where he dominates the ball. He gets 30 plus carries 180 yards and multiple touchdowns. And he limits the play volume of his opponents. That's what you want in a game where we think his opponents are going to be popular. So for me, I, like I'm so glad you brought this up. I think he is the ultimate leverage play because he's leveraged off Kyler Murray and off of the super chalk. I think it's going to be like a, a jam a men week where we get Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook as just a trio of guys who are super high owned. The way you play tournaments, and again, uh, I said I still play cash games. I still try to have fifty to seventy five percent of what I put in weekly into cash games, and the rest goes into tournaments because it's much easier to win those money. Uh, you don't have to worry about roster numbers. It's literally just the best lineup construction for cash games, and let everyone else make the mistakes as long as you're doing what's correctly. Um, but to visualize it genuinely, I'd say like tournament players are losing players. But the whole point is if you visualize a graph right now all everyone watching and listening and then imagine like this graph like you're it's all your money you're putting in weekly and it's consistently going down then the one time you win one time every five seven weeks perhaps nine weeks whatever it is one time you win that graph goes up it spikes and now it's there's a lot more room to go down because the goal is to continue spiking losing spike slowly go down, spike again, and the number that way gradually increases. And so that's what you're doing with tournaments. You're trying to win. You're not trying to place. You're not trying to bubble. You're literally trying to get a top 1% lineup. Uh, and that's why I got ahead of myself to the tournament dart segment, where we'll do every week the second segment. And I say dart because I know, even though I stress cash games, I know everyone loves playing tournaments. And who the hell am I to tell you what to do if you enjoy something in life? Just do it. If you like playing like the $3 DraftKings, $1 FanDuel, whatever it is, go do that because you're enjoying and you're having a great time in life. And I say Dart and still say Derrick Henry, though, because if I think he's going to come in at 5 to 8% and like the 333 Spy, the 1500 Wildcat, um, even in the one $3 leagues, that number actually probably goes down even more. And so that's why he's my favorite tournament dart and how I approach that game as my decision point as well. But I'm very interested to get your favorite tournament dart for everybody. Yeah, I think 
I guess I don't know if it's a dart. It's it's I think Marvin Jones can be the second most popular of the punt receivers. I think Callaway and then Jones. And mm-hmm. I just have I have no faith in in Marvin Jones being anything other than a deep third option on a team with I think DJ Tark, a, a talented player who operates in the similar part of the field, and then LaVisca Chenault, who has the profile of a guy who's just dominant. Like I think at his ceiling, LaVisca Chenault could literally be DeAndre Hopkins. I don't I'm not projecting that for him, but he does have the dominant college profile, the incredible athleticism that we see from elite wide receivers. So I, I it's a pairing any combination of Jags players that aren't uh, aren't Marvin Jones. For me, it's LaVisca, but if you wanted to say DJ Chark maybe has even farther like negative correlation with Marvin Jones, mm-hmm. I think that's another really good leverage spot. So I'll say Visca just because I like Visca as a player more, but I will probably have both. I'll even It's difficult. Would you run? <laughs> can you even possibly run back a Trevor Lawrence stack with Houston? They're so bad. Oh, my God. It has to be Brandon Cooks, right? Um, yeah. Now, if you're talking – the Millie maker or something like that. You're just playing to a joy again. You could do Nico Collins. I wrote this in the waiver wire column, actually, and it's pertinent for this week because when you bid on someone like Nico Collins, like a dollar or $2 fab, um, you try to imagine asking yourself, is this a player like what situations have to happen for this player I'm bidding minimum on to go for 10 X fab the following week. And for Nico Collins, genuinely all that has to happen. He has to have a larger target share than Brandon cooks. He doesn't even need to be good. He just needs to get 10 targets. Brandon cook is two targets. And we're like, Oh, they're going to just throw Tyrod prefers Nico Collins in this case. And if you're ever going to do that, it's a Millie maker, for instance, that you're not going to win anyways. And so it doesn't even get you back to Brandon Cooks. It gets you back to there's one path, really, Nico Collins needs to take. It's not that hard to get there to get double-digit targets um, in a game we don't know what's going to happen. I don't I don't even bet the Jags. I think the Jaguars are going to come in pretty popular in all these high stakes, like super contest in Vegas that I'm in as well with a bunch of sharp people. The issue is that like home week one with the Texans – it's like an unwritten rule for me. It's a mantra to stay away from because I just don't know, especially division home one games um, for an offense that we don't know what's going to happen. We think Trevor Lawrence is the truth and the one touched by God, but we genuinely don't have a clue if urban Meyer is going to donkey this up as a whole. And so Trevor Lawrence, cause he has the rushing upside, right? We're never going to play Tyrod Taylor. That's getting too cute, <laughs> but Trevor Lawrence. And then maybe James Robinson, if you think he has more of a pass catching role without Etienne or Tavon Austin healthy or Trevor Lawrence to your point, LaVisca. And then if you want to get cute in like really deep tournaments, hundred K entries, probably Neil Collins. Otherwise Brandon cooks also a, a good play. And by the way, you can look at the roster percentages because if Brandon cook comes in like at three to 5% Neil Collins, less than 1%, you probably still just play Brandon cooks. Like that's yeah. such a detriment. It doesn't matter. It's you don't like gain such a small that difference. Extra exactly. Two point whatever percent difference between the two doesn't actually gain you what the projection of Brandon cooks where like Brandon cooks was going like almost 50, 50 and at times out targeting out air yards in Will Fuller. We just don't know with Nico Collins, if Brandon, and cooks for some reason were like nine percent of course you'd say 0.7 percent nico collins is maybe an interesting tournament play but it's like you said you don't gain much value on the extra 2.1 percent ownership dip you get from cooks to collins right uh any other i know you said i think lavisca is a good dart even though i genuinely feel like he's still going to come in maybe slight double digits like 11 percent roster i could be wrong on that number is there a is there like a deeper one you have or would it be someone like neil collins in a game stack or someone like that yeah i think uh, i think nico collins kind of fills that bill these might not be as well it depends on how you feel about lavisca but i think the uh steelers pass catchers especially are really interesting dart throws because we all have this conception of of the steelers as taking a first round running back and saying well let's establish it 
But even if that is that is their theory, that is what they think they need to be doing, they're massive underdogs to the Bills. And we saw last year, they were not afraid to just completely air it out. I don't think that they project to pass as much as they did last year on average, but this is not an average game. They're projected to get beaten handily by Buffalo. And I think if you want to play pieces of Buffalo, the dart throws on the other side are not going to be particularly popular. Cause I don't think you gain, like it's not a ton of savings by getting to Deontay Johnson, by getting to chase Claypool. I don't think they're massively underpriced. Like T Higgins, I believe at 4,600 on DraftKings, is going to be very popular. I think if you pivot to someone like Claypool, like Deontay Johnson, it could be a really interesting game environment. If Pittsburgh, not by their own choice, but is forced into playing like they did last year where they can't run the football as much as they want, even just for one game, even if we don't think that's their plan for the whole season. If you're getting stumped by 14 by Buffalo, you may not have a choice. And if that increases the passing volume, I don't have a strong preference, sort of like I have with Jacksonville. I just want to, if I'm playing, you know, Josh Allen, I think the dart throws to someone like Chase Claypool, who we saw last year up until this this hypothetical rookie wall that Mike Tomlin built himself. Right. He was he was dominant. He looked like an alpha wide receiver. They were giving him like they were giving him trick plays on the goal line because that's how important they thought it was to get him touches. So for me, Chase Claypool, but I think you could easily argue Deontay Johnson when he's healthy, averaging 10 plus targets a game is really interesting plays in this game that I think is going to be popular for Allen, popular for Stephon Diggs. And then there's a chasm to the next most popular player. And again, this is an interactive show. If you tune in live as well, uh, we will get some questions and move along here, especially when they fit in to our format and segments. And Francis even mentioned something about the lack of uncertainty with the Jaguars, making them a good tournament play. And that is true if we get it right. Of course, everything has to be up-tempo. Everything has to go well. But to that same point, Francis, I say the same thing with you, Kyle, about the Steelers. Uh, because Claypool, for instance, is a great one. Like last year, just 10 of his 31 targets, 20 plus yards downfield got caught. But to your, like you mentioned though, we know he only had a 16% target share in the last half of the season and played just 6% of the snaps. He was a part-time player because of that fake rookie wall. And I will say like the deep targets are volatile, but also if he's going to be on the field more, thus getting more volume downfield, volatile is not negative. Like volatility can also be very good for us. So I don't mind chasing that if I think he's going to have more opportunity than we perceive as well if i'd say he gets five to seven downfield targets actually let's just say uh let's just say four to six um Mm -hmm. i take that chance and i say good let's see what happens especially with a play a player of his talent and caliber we know they gave him carries inside the five last year as well manufactured his touches when he was a full-time player early on for james washington so yeah there's a lot of outs here Deontay Johnson as well. They used Matt Canada's scheme in the preseason. Uh, and it was just was the preseason. It was it was very limited plays, but it was their highest rate of play action that they ever did from last year. Also, why Randy Fickner's now gone and it's Matt Canada. There is some like unique outs here that revolve around the Steelers passing game just being good. Um, I've gone on, I think he even said in our preview shows earlier this week that I love the Bills minus six and a half. And the more I thought about it, the reasoning was because, and I do think the Bills stomp the Steelers defense that I'm not scared of at all. Uh, they are a shadow of themselves. I believe they're just a slightly above league average unit, if not just league average, after losing two of their top three starting corners from last year this offseason and not having Bud Dupree as well. Perhaps TJ Watt is slow to get back. He was doing he was doing individual drills off to the side by himself for the last five weeks, but again, he wasn't practicing with the team until Wednesday. So we don't know. And that's why I don't worry about the Bills offense. But then the more I thought about it, six and a half. It's not a bad number, but it's also not a good number. It's a fair number. And so maybe that wasn't a good bet on my part. I might have to luck box 
uh, getting that cover because I do, the more I think about it, I think the Steelers offense carries their own weight. And I love Claypool. Love Claypool. That's why it's a long way to say that's one of my favorite plays. But also, if you want to go to Najee Harris, also as a way to get off the top running backs, you can totally do that. Because now that Anthony McFarland's an IR, Benny Snell averaged seven and a half routes per game. He doesn't, he's not the archetype player to run routes and catch passes. Everything is going to be given to Najee Harris. And even if the Bills run over the Steelers defense, which again, I think is what happens, Najee Harris has a floor of eight catches. Like if it's a negative game script, he's the one still on the field, not Benny Snell. And so like, no matter the game script, Najee Harris also pretty safe in my opinion. Same for Claypool. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I think the thing, you know, Anthony McFarlane on IR has got to be like the quietest blessing ever for Najee Harris. Cause he, the quietest big news ever. Yeah, yeah, the quietest big news ever, right? Because Benny Snell stands no chance. He, he's hardly better as a pass catcher than Gus Edwards, or at least used. Gus Edwards actually is like kind of like modest. Like he's actually not bad receiving stats when they throw it to him, but his team is determined he is not worth throwing it to. Benny Snell is the same way. I don't care if he's good or not. If you think like, oh, he's an underrated pass catcher. His team is determined they will not be throwing to Benny Snell ever. And Anthony McFarland actually had the profile of a guy who would pick up some third downs. Like, you know, we, you know, we saw Tony Pollard, like, yeah, he could pick up a few, a few targets. And that can be difficult when you're playing a negative game script. So I love that Najee Harris call. And I think that's another thing is like, I, I don't, I hate to say that like, it's really, uh, you don't want to be playing Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey in the same lineup. But also the way that that forces you to play, you're going to be playing the same, same punts as everyone else. So you played the popular running backs and then you have to play the cheap punt wide receivers. And then you have to play a value quarterback, just the way that it forces you to structure your lineup. It doesn't give you the freedom to be unique elsewhere. So mm-hmm. pivoting to a Najee Harris, even to like an Aaron Jones, we can talk about later. I just think he's an interesting play as a favorite against the saints, high implied team total pivoting down to anyone that isn't the big three running backs or if you consider Derrick Henry in that group someone who isn't the big three ownership running backs I think is going to be a really uh you know it's we talked about at the top of the show one of the key decision points is how do you approach the other the top end of the spectrum cheap wide receivers expensive running backs because I lo- like I love all the expensive running backs Christian McCaffrey is great Dalvin Cook is really good there's so- there's no knock against those guys especially because yeah. like the Vikings defense is very underrated. Uh, last year, their starting dime package, their top four corners had eight combined career starts, whereas this year it's 282. Like they usually, they took a bunch of washed rookies and guys they signed off the street and replaced them with guys of high upside caliber and just experience like a Patrick Peterson. I understand he's just been a league average, if not a poor player the past two years, quietly since he got popped for PEDs. But also we've seen in the past, he's been left on an island and been successful that way. Whereas the Vikings haven't had that in several years because even Xavier Rhodes like ran out and cornerbacks, as we know, when they get bad, they get bad overnight a la quarterbacks as well. Um, And so Xavier Rose didn't deliver that, not to mention that stuffing your defensive line would just not only top heaviness, but being rich in depth. And then also getting Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin back. It's extremely scary against a Bengals woeful pass protection unit. And so that's why I think Dalvin Cook in a tremendous spot because you can also correlate the defense. I wish my initial thought, I really thought everyone was going to, not step back from the week to from the overarching analysis. We know the Bengals play volume on paper. We know they're going to pass a lot. We know they're going to be fast. But when you step back and look at everything, 
Week one, it doesn't make sense at all. Like the pain is coming for the Bengals in week one. And I was hoping everyone would take the cheap price and double stack and burrow so I could then correlate and use the Vikings defense with Dalvin Cook to my advantage, especially if I think the Vikings just road grade the Bengals, which is what I think happens. And so, uh, but the issue is now, I don't think T. Higgins, you said, so yeah, we differ on this. You said you think T. Higgins actually is going to carry some like high roster percentage because I don't know. I haven't heard anyone talk about it. That's the thing. So I actually, I, I don't know, but I would think that everyone's kind of off of that right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I've just generally looked at uh, a few different sites projections for, for how highly rostered players will be. Teagan's overall has been a player who's kind of popped. I don't think he's, I don't think he'll be on that Callaway tier. Like I think that is uh, I think he'll be the, the chalk of the week by, by a pretty considerable margin, but I do think T Higgins carries a decent amount of ownership. And I especially think early in early in the season, when we have more players coming from season long, coming from best ball, we're going to get, like you said, people playing the similar players they were on in season long as Mm -hmm. in week one, which is something I think we'll see with the Bengals, even if I think maybe it does take some time to acclimate, or maybe there is just a lot of volatility in week one where like I, I have, Plenty. I have a, a sick amount of Bengals sacks in best ball. I, I love that. I think the defensive call, I think even if it's not against the most popular of the punt, Higgins is kind of above what I would call punt tier. It doesn't really matter. But even if he's not the most popular receiver, I do think even leverage against eight, nine, 10% of the field, plus, uh, you know, against some Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon will also, I think, be a, a kind of a, a quote sneaky option to end up being like not that sneaky. I think that uh, that Minnesota defense plus Dalvin Cook correlation is something I'll have a lot of. Because, yeah, I don't think the, the Bengals are going to be the most popular stack. I do think they'll be one of the, quote, sneaky stacks that people actually end up like everyone sees coming. That's fair. Uh, and again, this show is somewhat structured, but also that's why I like the conversation. I think it's much more helpful than just giving the names like when we're talking about all this stuff out loud. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I want to get to the third segment, but first, just a reminder for everyone about our Sunday morning show returning this Sunday morning, a good football show presented by Applebee's. It is our Start Sit special. That's what everyone wants. You can tune in also to Pat on Twitch at 2 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. But more importantly, for this upcoming week, you can tune in and get all your start sits. We will be there. Myself, you, Kyle, I believe, yep. Pat, uh, Corain, and Denny will all go back and forth and swap out from time to time. But overall, yes, this Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Is that correct, Kyle? 
I thought it was noon. I thought we went noon, noon to Eastern, lock. Kyle. That's exactly what I said. Noon Eastern start sit extravaganza special presented by Applebee's. Be there because we will talk about the news from Saturday night that Schefter will inevitably keep us up all night for because he drops them at midnight so everyone can see that stuff at seven in the morning when they wake up. And then we will spin that into our favorite games and players and the fallout to make sure you are up to date with all the actionable advice you need before you set your lineups. And then then, of course, all your start sits weaved in between. It is an hour-long show, and then we will get off and set our own lineups, and hopefully we can all laugh to the bank together. But that is the point. Be there Sunday morning. Kyle, the third segment, as we've weaved in for every other topic, is going to be our top fades every week. And so I would like to hear who you are hearing everyone discuss, seeing everyone write about, and you just can't wrap your head around. You, you just can't get there, whether it be for structural reasons or just the fact you think that player is in a woeful spot. Yeah, so I guess uh, I talked about Callaway already, so I'll punt that one off. Uh, you know, I just think there's a lot of uncertainty, and I think he'll be popular. If you don't, that is what it is. Man, I, I like. I don't really want to say this because it's like a player that I'd always be terrified to play. But I think I think Travis Kelsey. We're gonna get such interesting medium to low ownership on Tyreek Hill, and I really want to be playing the. I think Kyle Pitts will be probably the second or third most uh, popular tight end. That I think you give up a lot by paying up for Kelsey instead of just playing Pitts, and then as a leverage against. Because when I say I'm playing Pitts, I can't have Kelsey go for 35 unless Pitts goes for 28, I still probably end up losing because you just need at some point to score raw points. So because of that, I would be using me, Cole, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, uh, Tyreek Hill as all leverage points off of Travis Kelsey. And I, I can't believe I'm saying I don't want to play Travis Kelsey, but I think the opportunity cost with the expensive running backs with Kyle Pitts, even George Kittle in a matchup, like he should be able to, to annihilate the Lions. I think the opportunity cost is particularly high for Travis Kelsey this week. Interesting. Uh, so that that's the point for me is that I would love to say Kyle Pitts because the salary is wrong. It's just a it's an extremely bad salary, especially because we know Nick Sirianni brought his friend over from the Colts. They're most likely going to run a lot of zone defense as the Colts have historically done under Matty Eberflus and. We know Pitts can also just settle in spots and be just fine and have a high reception floor as well as a Travis Kelsey-like ceiling. The issue is the only way to be unique off Pitts is to play Mike Davis. Uh, but then also, who do you run it back with at your tight end spot if we really think the only couple of strong options are Kelsey and Pitts? So uh, Pitts is not my – I'm literally just talking out loud because Pitts is not my pivot. Yeah. I wanted, I literally wanted it to be my fade. But yeah. again, unless it's just using Mike Davis instead of Pitts, I don't know how else we get there because you also don't really want to play Matt Ryan – right without the rushing floor because as we know um this was in an article written by tj hernandez at 44 football early this offseason that the past five years before last year the five years prior the difference between the qb10 and the qb20 was 2.1 fantasy points per game minimal and that's because you could usually get a low-end quarterback have a rushing floor um and so they could meet in the middle and jump up whereas last year the difference between the qb10 and qb20 was 5.1 fantasy points per game more than doubled and it literally is because now the best players in the game have intelligent young play callers intuitive progressive play callers as well and they also run the ball so last year we learned the hard way to open up the year 
that if you went cheap at quarterback, you were probably drawn dead because the 25 points from like a 5K, 6K quarterback, it doesn't matter when the 8,300 quarterback is getting 50 points. Like the cheap guy just can't match that. So like unless Sam Darnold, let's say, who's in a good matchup as well, gets 350 yards and three touchdowns, like he cannot match what Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, the big dogs bring to the table. And so that's my issue with Matt Ryan is that without the rushing floor, it's just really hard for him to get there. Yeah, I think that's something that it was really difficult to come to grips with last year because, like you said, we had spent years in DFS saying, like, oh, well, the 8K quarterback really doesn't give you that much advantage. And it was relevant for that time we talked about. Like, yes. We we went into cash games with Mitchell Trubisky, like stone men guys, because it didn't matter because, like, the salaries, the way it worked out construction wise, it just made sense. And then last year, the best players in the game became the best players in the game. And there's, of course, a lot of reasons too, um, before you continue on. Like, we know that the fewest amount of offensive holding penalties were called. We know the most amount of DPIs were called. We know the most points in league history were scored. That's why also when you look at guys like, uh, I don't mean to stomp on Drew Locke's grave, but like guys like <laughs> Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, they were bad in a year. It was the easiest ever to be a quarterback in the NFL. That's why you know those players are bad because like they were bad in the easiest time to play the game. And so uh, the, just the fact that, yeah, now though, since the game has become so much easier for quarterbacks and offense as a whole to make it friendlier for us viewers and the numbers and the money pumped into it by everyone, that means also that the best players are the best players now and they're scoring 40 points. Yeah, it's definitely like a a shift in the mindset of how you play DFS. Like you said, we weren't wrong. It was that Tom Brady throwing for 303 touchdowns was not that – it was not, you know, 3,000 DraftKings dollars different than Mitchell Trubisky throwing for one touchdown but also rushing for one and 60 extra yards. Now we have the guys who can be Tom Brady through the air and also add that Mitchell Trubisky through the ground. So I think there's like a a, a shift, like a seismic shift you have to make and how you think about things. I think – because Calvin Ridley is going to be relatively popular. I think it's going to be pretty obvious yeah. that he is going to just be, he's going to, he's, I would bet on him so comfortably to lead the league in air yards because he does a thing that so few other receivers do is that he gets a lot of targets and he gets them mid to deep downfield. So it gives him such a high yardage potential. I think he's going to be popular. I think Kyle Pitts is going to be popular that Matt Ryan is going to be one of like the, the pocket passers that are most, most popular on the slate of the mm-hmm. guys who really don't have any rushing potential. And I think just completely fading those guys is probably it. I mean, it worked last year. That was the strategy last year was these pocket passers were, were mostly drawing dead to really outscore Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was going to throw for 250 and two touchdowns and then body bag them with his legs. So for me, it's someone like like Matt Ryan. Does he have any chance, even at his price? Because at the end of the day, we need to score points. Does right. he have any chance to actually outscore someone with legs in his even in his price range? I, I don't really know if I see that being particularly possible. So for me... It's probably just one-offs from the from the Falcon side. And I like the Falcons a lot as an offense, but as a way to generate a holistic lineup of fantasy points. I'm not sure if I want to do that with like Matt Ryan as the core. It's a double-edged sword for me, honestly, because on one hand, and I said this in the preview show, again, a good football show, Spotify and iTunes, go download it, like and subscribe. We appreciate all the views on YouTube as well at the NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel. But for Ryan and this offense and this overall game, it's getting steamed down. But I know a bunch of sharp betters who are on the over anyhow. And the over 
is the right side. Uh, I don't know how this game goes under. Um, I, I think the props are comical. Kyle Pitts at 41 receiving yards. Get the F out of here. Jalen Hurts, 39 and a half rushing yards. What are we doing? It's like he didn't even try when we put the numbers up on this game. So, like, I, I genuinely think I'm fighting Vegas. I think all the numbers are bad. Like, uh, I don't. I know the Eagles improved their defensive players on paper overall, but Arthur Smith is – so smart like this is literally a bet on faith and play calling and that's why i also won't get around to fading Kyle Pitts, no matter the weight he carries for 4400 on DraftKings, because it comes down to smith knowing how to utilize him correctly because he's a smart coach uh they use derrick henry of course you know derrick henry has 827 total touches the past two years combined but that was to me anyways that was the way he built around his personnel. It wasn't they just did that because he wanted to run the ball. And if that is not his personnel, which it's not, it's Mike Davis, who is one of the best receiving backs in the entire NFL. That means we put the foot on the gas and we throw the ball more. And so I say all that, and even though I mentioned earlier, I don't want to play Ryan, but that's kind of like, and maybe this leads us to our final segment. Like you can get there easily, especially if you think the game goes over. It's like 48, I believe, last I checked, and I my numbers had it for like 55. I, I thought this was a wildly inaccurate number. And so you don't even need Matt Ryan. Like maybe the stack is Calvin Ridley and Devonta Smith. Kyle Pitts, Devonta Smith, get off Kyle Pitts and go Mike Davis and Devonta Smith. There are ways to do this uniquely and to get away from Ryan as a whole. And that includes also just rostering Jalen Hurts for the rushing upside too. Yeah, I think so. I like, I think there's a, a perfect middle for rushing quarterbacks where at the end of the day, like part of building smart lineups is, is not just scoring a lot of points, but being able to do them all at once. That's why we correlate. We don't correlate because it scores a lot of points. It's specifically because it answers questions all at the same time. Building a good lineup is one that, sure, if I have a double stack with a run back, uh, you know, double stack being two of the pass catchers plus the quarterback plus the run back, that's four players that all, you know, with a, a bit of variance, either score a lot of points or score very few points. And if that means I get, you know, out of what the, the $5 DraftKings is a million point one entries or whatever, if I get 900,000 because I jammed in all from one game, uh, you know, so be it because I want my lineups to be bifurcated first or last place. And I do think the one thing I struggle with the pure, pure Russian quarterbacks, and we saw this with Lamar Jackson last year, was that you? it's hard to really correlate them at all. You were getting a lot of good Lamar Jackson weeks that resulted in really functionally no good Mark Andrews or Marquise Brown weeks. So the guys who are going to be completely just ground-based quarterbacks, I do have a little bit of concern with because I can't double stack them. I just almost ruled that out entirely because it was so incredibly rare to see like Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown both go off. But then if I'm just single stacking them, I feel like I, I am losing some of what is my advantage over the field. And it's being able to uh, get more questions right because each position is just a question of does this guy go for 40 or 30 or whatever. I, I lose my advantage of being able to group all of those together and have them all hit at once. So for the pure rushers, I, I still I, I'm playing at least a, a minimum one of their stacks and a minimum one run back, but I'm probably less likely. Like I didn't end up playing a lot of Lamar Jackson last year because it was difficult to build like hyper correlation into my lineups. Does that lead you to someone then like a, and this is a sneaky stack too. I'm not, I probably won't play it. And uh, in the final segment, I just prefer to, when I say sneaky snacks, I only give what I'm playing. Cause usually by this time every week, I will be dwindled down to like, I start my process by eliminating games. Like what is everyone on? And how do I get away from that? And is there a reason to get away from that? Or should I go overweight on it? And so right now, like I'm almost even somewhat, if I don't play Derrick Henry or do play Derrick Henry, either way, eliminating 
the Cardinals Titan game in a way, because I think there are other games not being discussed that could go well over the total. Um, but I want to hear your sneaky stacks first. And quickly, I will say like Jalen Hurts, naked Jalen Hurts, not even stacking him with Kyle Pitts. It's probably also another way to get unique stack towards that game. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the Cardinals game is one that like, I love these players, right? But like, I'm not trying to pick the best lineups. I'm trying to figure out how to build lineups that have a lot of first place equity. And that means you're going to have a lot of last place equity. That's all that matters though, is the way that tournaments are structured is that you need to build lineups that are going to get you first place at a slightly higher rate than the field gets first place. And you're going to lose a lot until then because of that. I agree. I think the Derrick Henry leverage is, is probably the most prominent way I'm going to be playing that game. I'm really like, I don't want to say I'm like completely ruling out Kyler Murray, but it is difficult for me. I think it's going to be one of the most popular plays. Mm-hmm. I think I think Russell Wilson is a really interesting pivot off of man. I I'm, I, dude, uh, yo, I got I got there this morning and I started looking at it and I was like, good grief, how good of a play is Russell Wilson and bringing right? back with Michael Pittman? Right, My that's God. exactly it. That that game, especially now that we know Xavier Rhodes is out and like just all the how hamstrung they are. Um, all you need is the guy to lead in target share, and we know the Colts don't have anyone. Literally, don't have defensive talent that can. And by the way, who does? But the Colts especially don't have talent that can keep up with a healthy DK and Lockett in a game that is indoors and with a 49 total. He, if it goes over 49, like we get to 53, 54, 55, like that's tremendous. We're well on our way there. And the ownership, if, like if you look at the numbers, no one else is getting there either. Uh, let's hear your spiel because like even mentioning that, it got me so excited because that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I think it's it's the pricing play. You get just under, it's on DraftKings, uh, but I don't think it's that much different on FanDuel. At the pricing range, you're getting like $400 more for Josh Allen. People are going to completely go towards Josh Allen on DraftKings because yes, for $400 more, he is a better points per dollar play, but the error bands on any given player are so wide that I think the ownership should be close to similar between the two and it's not it's just not going to happen people are going to clamor to josh allen clamor to a little more for kyler murray when like you said they have a high implied team total they play indoors and another thing that i really like about the seahawks and i think we'll probably end up seeing this with the colts because they have two good receipts like zach pascal like if zach pascal runs laps around michael pittman like i'll eat my shoes it's just that's just a risk yeah. i'm willing to take i think michael pittman is a significantly better player than zach pascal probably also paris campbell so you get two very defined target trees where like some of the problems with the teams that have really deep rotations is if i pick their quarterback i still have to get two more decisions right because i don't know which receivers are going to go off in a given week there are two receivers to pick from in seattle and then i would argue two punt options gerald everett and i think Dwayne Eskridge is at least maybe viable <laughs> in play so it's so obvious that if you get your russell wilson call right you are very likely to get your receiver call right. And I think you're very likely to get the runback call right. I think it is very likely to be Michael Pittman if this game hits the over. And then non-zero to be someone like Paris Campbell. I think it's the other option. I, I would listen, I would listen to Paris Campbell. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, and he's super cheap too, which makes him the perfect pivot off of the, I think, the the Callaway, Marvin Jones, probably also Elijah Moore. Oh, and- Elijah Moore is going to come in hot, especially yeah, exactly. if Keelan Cole questionable. Um, it yeah. looks like he, he probably won't go. I mean, that makes, because their depth chart's already so thin. Like, that makes everyone's just going to gravitate to Elijah Moore, which also, by the way, makes Rondo Moore, I think, an important piece, not only for, like, you know, the three dollars and Millie makers and all that. I genuinely think he's a mid high stakes single entry guy as well, because his floor is so high. Like if you want to play the Titans Cardinals in a unique way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, that's a good, if you want to play, like I talked about playing like the, the super Titans heavy lineups, I think running it back with Rondale as opposed to Andre is how you would get unique or like throwing in Derek Henry to your, uh, I don't know, like, 
Berkser, AJ Brown type of weird stack or something. Uh, yeah, I think Rondale is the is the perfect run back as opposed to DeAndre Hopkins just as a way to get unique. And because I think Rondale is gravely mispriced, but there are other players that are, I guess, arguably more gravely mispriced in his price range. So he won't get owned as if he is uh, like a really bad price, which I, 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 I think Rondale Moore as a prospect is the ideal fit. There has never been a better glove perfectly fits into an offense type of scenario. So, yes, I love him as a pivot off of the cheap guys. I like Paris Campbell in that same range. I don't think he's as good of a play, but he also correlates well with my Russell Wilson stacks, which like, you know, I'm going to be running out some Russell Wilson. Do you are you considering stacking? I think Gerald Everett is kind of obviously in play uh it looks like he'll be the starting tight end playing most of the snaps even if we haven't seen russell wilson have a ton of success with tight ends i don't care you're on the field a lot with russell wilson the dude throws a lot of touchdowns it's just the correlation play whether or not you think gerald everett is good or not you think Dwayne eskridge is at least like in play no 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 i mean i tried uh, he he did come in in that final preseason game and finally get some time um it's it's not that i think He's not in play. I just don't think you need to get there whenever sure. I am considering DK Metcalf to only be eight to ten percent more rostered. Like I don't need to drop those percentages from DK Metcalf to get down to D Eskridge. Um, and again, in a million maker with a stack, like you can argue whatever you want. It's basically like your best ball fifteenth, eighteenth round pick. Like uh, I'm like everyone says, draft Brian Edwards. I'm not a Brian Edwards guy, but I'm also not going to get in your way if you draft him that late because it's just like we're all going to get those picks wrong. Who cares? I touted Wayne Gallman, and I even told people, don't draft Wayne Gallman. I don't care. Like he's just a late round guy that honestly, like the role makes sense. He gets cut, and then luckily because he's a talented player, lands in a fortuitous situation in the Falcons. But like the whole point about last round picks as well is just you need playing time and. That sounds so easy, but it's the most impossible thing to do is find playing time in the 15th, 18th rounds. And that's all we're looking for. And it's the same thing here. Uh, whereas I don't think it's worth paying down for a guy like D. Esker, Dwayne Eskridge, D. Esker. He goes by D now, right? Uh, yeah, I saw at some yeah. point like site started updating in his name and I was like, who is this player? I've never. I, I don't think you need to get there whenever Tyler Lock and DK Mack will only be X percent more rostered. Uh, and they are clearly the ceiling guys that could end weeks if they go off. And I don't think you need both. I think you can also do one. And now that we think about it aloud and Permar even mentions it in the chat for Paris Campbell from the slot, that actually does make me have a take on I will go Campbell on DraftKings and Michael Pittman for the touchdown equity on a format in FanDuel, for instance, that it's only half point PPR, so we need the touchdowns. Like, that makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at uh, the way that the scoring format changes, how they project, uh, yeah, it absolutely does. I don't think there's like, a, like you know, if you said like, oh, but I really want to play Michael Pittman on DraftKings, go for it. I think you're we're shooting for sure. the correlation, but yes, you are. And he's like, it. he's only 4,100 on DraftKings. He's yeah. so cheap as well. Yeah, but I mean, if you're looking at how the projections affect them, it does affect them in a way that, uh, you know, Paris Campbell is definitely more uh, advantageous on DraftKings than if you're playing like Yahoo FanDuel. Uh, the Pittman touchdown equity is probably better there. I mean, it obviously so, is. So for Sneaky Stacks, that's definitely one. I'm glad we agree on that one. And then for me also, I will absolutely have it in my lineup. That's why I feel comfortable talking about it. Mm -hmm. I just don't know yet how I will piece it together because I think the Bill Steelers game pops. And how I want... Diggs for sure, but if I play Josh Allen, if we get there, I'm also playing Cole Beasley, knowing that the Steelers historically have struggled from the slot. I'm playing both of them. Um, and then the run back can be either way. It's more volatile with Chase Claypool, but also the ceiling is extremely high if we get there, and it's a faster, more unique, play-action-heavy, pre-snap motion offense than we perceive it to be. Najee Harris is the one that doesn't fail. 
like we need the touchdowns on Najee Harris, but like honestly, the floor is so freaking high since we talked about it earlier. And negative game script that the Bills just walk over the Steelers and they're looking at they're down two or three scores in the second quarter, third quarter. Najee Harris gets eight to ten. Like Najee Harris gets the targets as well. So that's why he can't fail, even if you do a skinny stack with digs. But I like I like getting the exposure in this game for sure. I'm just not sure how heavy and which way just yet. I just know it's going to be pieced around whichever way I go in every single one of my lineups. Yeah, this is a game that uh, I kind of hinted at earlier. We know the Bills are going to be one of the most uh, pass-heavy teams in the league. They were last year, especially when you adjust for their situation because they're a winning team. And I, like I said earlier, I think it's a non-zero chance. I think it's fairly likely that Pittsburgh is forced to play this way, that way in this game, even if they're, that is not their long-term game plan. And that's what you want. You want two teams who are going back and forth, back and forth, taking shots, and they're not grinding clock by giving their, you know, giving Zach Moss 25 carries. That is just not happening. Even Brian Dable in the offseason, someone asked him, uh, you know, are you worried about how your running game was uh, you know, 27th or whatever in rushing yards in the league last year? And he said, you know, of course, you want to have a good running game. But at the end of the day, it's about scoring points. Like, that's what he said. He's trying to score points. He knows that you score points by letting Josh Allen throw. So I think at a minimum, uh, I think Josh Allen is like a minimum double stack player just because sure he has some rushing equity but the thing is especially on this slate i do think allen is going to be particularly popular in stoles so will stefan Diggs because i think the expensive players at all positions are going to be more popular in this week than they are other weeks because they're cheap players at those same positions so you're going to have a bifurcated sort of build one two punts at a lot of positions tight end is going to be you know popular kyle pitts there's some other punt options you could go to that you're going to have a lot of sort of bifurcated lineups big stars and scrubs type of lineups so i think the way you at least in a josh allen lineup is you like people hate Cole Beasley and uh, he's, a, he's not my favorite player by any means, right? But he gets a ton of targets from a quarterback who throws a ton of touchdowns. Like I, I don't think it's that hard to say like, oh well, Cole Beasley is not the most exciting player. He has a ton of ten target like hundred yard one touchdown equity so much more than other players in his price range other players who are going to be as popular or more popular than him and he's not that expensive he makes the perfect type of double stack candidate i think you can certainly go with i think what emmanuel sanders popped up on the uh, injury report today or was it gabriel davis one of the two did i don't think any any risk of missing but i could be wrong about that i, I think they're fine yeah and our initial builds i have had some like i've been tinkering with beasley and sanders uh, I don't mind Sanders either, honestly, but yeah. I think I've come to the point where it will be. And again, I, I will not play just Allen and Diggs. It yes. will be Allen, Diggs, and Beasley if Allen is my lineup. But either way, Diggs is 100% going to be in my lineups. Yeah, I just don't think you can uh, you can skinny stack it just because that's going to be the most the most obvious way to attack this game. I think you have to double stack, and it's not like you're making a thin decision to double stack. Like we saw Gabriel Davis scored what like seven touchdowns on sixty targets. Isaiah freaking McKenzie somehow scored like Pat told me this, and it just like it floored me. Isaiah McKenzie scored like five touchdowns on thirty targets. That's Isaiah McKenzie is a good player, by the way. <laughs> like anytime I see Isaiah McKenzie or uh, Khalif Raymond. Um or Marcus Marvin Johnson like, pop up. Yeah, they're good NFL players. Like they're really good at like what Marvin they do. Hall. So yeah, it's like it's like guys where like you should have this guy getting 20 targets on your team because he'll turn like four of them to touchdowns or something weird like that. I think that about like a lot of the field stretcher types. But yeah, like these ancillary pieces on Buffalo are so much likely to score touchdowns and have big games because they play for Buffalo, who has a great quarterback, and they do not care about establishing the run in any way. That is the perfect scenario to play secondary pieces, and I don't think it'll be that popular. So I think double stack is just mandatory. You know, if you're building 150, just set a rule. Like playing Josh Allen must be must be two of his pass catchers. 
to me, it's very obvious you play digs plus one of the other ones. But I mean, I guess if you want to get like weird, you could play like there. I think there's probably like one or two Be- Beasley plus Gabriel Davis games. I don't think you need to go there. It's not impossible though. And I would also just minimum one run back because I think the correlation you get from that is particularly good. I think you could even uh, double run back. They're not crazy expensive on the other side. I think you could have five players from this game and, and be fine. Jeez. Um, also, NBA rig mentions Juju and uh, he's also like, you know, it's not sexy, but his the way he works uh, historically being from the slot, maybe they move him outside. I doubt it. But being from the slot also like it fits well against what the Bills have historically not covered well under McDermott. And so like Juju, even though no one wants to roster him, makes a lot of sense in this matchup, too, even though I just prefer and maybe it's just I'm chasing the archetype. But right, I just prefer yeah. because like Travis White doesn't matter if he covers Chase Claypool because the archetype Claypool has again, if he gets five to seven targets for being downfield, like let's play that coin flip. Let's just see what happens. And uh, that's the chance I'm willing to take. I will definitely be on this game before we get out of here. One more thing. Cause I want to talk about it. Cause I haven't mentioned it at all. And I don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, I genuinely don't have a lean either way, but are you approaching? Are you doing anything with the highest total of the week that we haven't discussed the chiefs Browns game? Um, because I think the Browns cover. I love the six points. I gave that. I shouldn't say gave it out. That's what I mentioned on the preview show that I already bet it earlier in the week. And initially, I thought it was going to be under. But then I came around thinking, okay, like it doesn't matter that the Browns defensive unit got better because it's still Patrick Mahomes and this up-tempo Chiefs offense that from week eight on averaged 40-plus pass attempts per game. Even when they had a lead, they passed the ball to put the game away, which makes sense. He's Patrick Mahomes. And then also we know that the Browns were thrown out of whack in their divisional round last year, also injured. Chiefs had four possessions. They looked up. And they were down 19 to three. The Browns were because the Chiefs score on all four of their first half possessions. And then suddenly in the second half, the Browns are completely out of their offense. The structure that they built, they have to pass. That's not what they want to do. And so just the fact that if I don't expect the Chiefs to stop the Browns either, because they'll be able to play more comfortably now that all of them are healthy. Of course, you want a piece of this total. Again, it's the highest of the week. And so. If we are also fading, this is the way I'm looking at it now. And again, I don't know if I'm going to get there. I don't lean either way, but I've been thinking about it. And if I'm fading Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey, because I'm getting in on Derrick Henry or Najee Harris or Mike Davis, I think Nick Chubb also should be in the conversation with the elite backs. Uh, Not only does he have a higher touch ceiling than we think when he returned from injury last year he out touched cream hunt 183 to 119 the rest of the way including the playoffs also in the postseason quietly nine targets to hunts two he was more involved in the passing game i don't know if that carries over but again if it's the highest total of the week and we know he's efficient and they're not going to be able to stop him anyhow like i kind of like using him as my rb1 as well to try to combat those top heavy guys yeah. So do you think to me when I play Nick Chubb, I usually I, I conceive of him and this like mathematically is probably something you can figure out. Uh, I mean, I could look it up real quick, but it is uh, something where I think of playing him as leverage against his opponents because the type of games I believe the Browns want to use Kareem Hunt in are the type of games where they roll their opponents. They dominate playtime. They dominate the overall plays run. That's not particularly what I want when I'm paying a ton of my DraftKings salary to get Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. And I said I wasn't on traffic, Chelsea. I, I probably go with like a Michael Hardman as a secondary, but committing that much of my drafting salary, I feel like I need my team to run an inordinate amount of plays because you just need a lot of opportunities for touchdowns, yards, receptions. So to me, I, I wouldn't play him as a, uh, like, do you play him as a correlation with his opponent? Cause I think he's a negative correlation or at least neutral. I can't imagine he's particularly positive with his opponents. So the thing is, if I'm playing Nick Chubb, you have to then pay up for a chief's guy 
because uh, I don't I don't even want to play McCole Harmon. I genuinely have no interest in McCole Harmon. Everyone talks about like McCole Harmon being embedded as the number two receiver, but as we know, McCole Harmon last year had seven chances to do that. He was a full time player in place of Sammy Watkins, and the issue is. He doesn't know how to play NFL receiver just yet. Like he's literally still learning the nuance of the position. He, in those games, still playing as a full-time player, averaged two and a half targets. Like he just can't earn targets because he can't separate. He's not good at running routes. Uh, And that could change. He perhaps developed. He's still only 24, right? Like he's still 23, maybe. He's still so young. So there's still time, but I don't want to get there. I don't want to play him. That means spending up for Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. And the issue is then suddenly that's already so much salary put towards that little stack I can't play Diggs, who I think is a actually who I actually think is like a better raw play than Tyreek Hill as well. Like the production should be really close. Um, and I can't play other guys either. So I can't get there really to bring it back with Chubb. I think I'm on Chubb's solo, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's how I would play it. That's what I'm asking. I think you have to like like I said, I think the way the Browns want to play is that if Chubb goes off, his opponents probably didn't go up. They probably got Chubb a lot of a lot of opportunities. And even if like even if the Chiefs still put up a decent amount of points, that is a lot of salary. Like you said, you were just committing so much to this game when a Nick Chubb success is probably not particularly correlated with his opponent's success, at least not in the way the Browns want to play it. So yeah, I think Nick Chubb is honestly more of a leverage off of his opponents than anything. All right. Well, it's we've said it all. I think it's all been covered. Yeah. Uh, this is what we'll be doing every week. Thanks again for everyone tuning in and watching and listening. We will also bring our tools up next week as well and perhaps show some player projections throughout the show. We are in a bit of a rush this time around. It's the first week. We are also getting all the kinks out and trying to get in regular season form. So with that, Kyle, tell everyone what you else you have coming up this weekend and what they can look forward to. Yeah, like you said at the beginning of the show, we'll be on Sunday, start sit, start sit starting at noon Eastern, going till one on Saturday. So the time you're hearing this, unless you're watching it live, you can also check out my uh, my player props article, just picking out some of the best props to bet on, and also the value finder, basically the best value some of the players are talking about. Maybe you're eyeing in cash games, or I even have some players on there that I think are like sneaky values that are leveraged, like Mike Davis. He names one I'm actually writing up as like he could be the leverage off of the the Ridley, the the Pitts type of players. So even if you're not playing cash games, I still think the values is important so those two the show it's all going on that sounds good and remember like you said sunday morning we'll be back for start sets at noon eastern like i told earlier the right time presented by applebee's and also you're probably already listening since you subscribe but just in case subscribe to a good football show we are going back to six episodes per week six including this very show you're listening to right now every week for the regular season so until then good luck everyone He's Kyle Dvorak at Qual Tweets here on Twitter. I am John Daigle at the worst Twitter handle ever at Najee Daigle. We will see you again next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.